Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and I'm here with a solo pod about the abundance mindset. (laughs) So don't worry, I'm not uh, about to just get a super woo-woo on everybody, but it's a really important pattern that I've seen time and time again. And I've seen it be very useful for predicting where a law firm is going. And again, this is like more of a velocity or, or even an acceleration thing rather than an outright indication of where somebody is or isn't. But over time, you'll see the people that are following the patterns in this are going to be usually in a better place a year from now, five years from now. And the people, even if they are successful that aren't following this, are probably falling back towards the, let's not say bottom, but a little bit more of a solo direction. But anyway, it's also a pattern and not really a mindset because there's things that you can do and we're going to go into it that can actually influence the decisions that you make while you're managing your firm. But anyways, getting into a little bit more of the background. So this is something that's actually been for a while. So in in social psychology, this is sometimes referred to as the Matthew effect because of a quote from the book of Matthew in the Bible, which is actually a little dark if you think about it, but it says to, uh, (laughs) I'm trying to put on my biblical scholar voice, for to everyone who has more will be given and he will have abundance, but from him who has not even what he has will be taken away. And that's from Matthew 25, 29. Or uh, if you're more secular, I'm also a fan of scared money, don't make money from Wu-Tang Clan. But I digress. It's a pattern that's been around, obviously, if it's in the Bible, it's been around since the beginning of the written word, uh, which I take as evidence to it being part of the human condition. But the operating mechanism is, at least from what I've been able to observe as a person working with law firms, it boils down to you know a positive feedback loop that's working in either direction. So let's call this the, the virtuous cycle of abundance and the vicious cycle of scarcity. So we'll kind of go with a, with a couple little example stories, and, and maybe these things are going to be familiar if frustrated solo or anything like that, but let's start with the negative side of things. So, okay, let me know if this sounds familiar. So you know the type of client and situation that you do the best work for, but you know somebody's cousin's high school friend has a landlord-tenant issue that she needs help with, and also, unfortunately, she can't pay you your full rent because times are tight. So you're not really sure about whether you're going to be at your office rent next month, so you end up taking the job. And now you're brushing up on your landlord-tenant law, and you haven't really looked at it since you've had to pass the bar, and it's taking you a lot of time. So you're up late, you missed out on your B&I meeting that morning, you only really have one consult left for the month, and you're still short on your bills, so you end up just completely dropping your pants on the offer when they ask you what the price is, um, because you know you really can't let this one walk out the door. Unfortunately, at the same time, you actually end up missing a deadline for your existing client. And this actually ends up one, this is one of the clients, you know, you can do a really good job for, but they end up getting mad and leaving you a negative Google review. Fortunately, there's really not a lot you can do at this point, but you're, you're honestly, you're stretched so thin. You didn't really have any other options. Thankfully, the month finally ends. You end up making rent just by the skin of your teeth and you start the cycle all over again. So do you think things are going to be better this month around or worse? And that's basically the uh, the vicious cycle at work. All these situations are stuff that happen to somebody who's playing not to lose. So let's take another example for somebody who's playing to win. All right. So in this situation, you've been really disciplined about taking the right kind of client for the past few months, and it's really starting to pay off. So you end up getting a lot of uh, good reviews on ABO. 
because you've had, had the time to focus on this type of client that you work really well with and you've gotten a reputation in the local area as being a good person to give cases. So not only is, is it coming from your word of mouth, um, you're also getting a lot of referrals from other attorneys because you're really becoming the go-to guy or gal in your town. You basically have a lot of stuff coming in and you're deciding to increase your rates by 25%. You know, it seemed greedy at first, but in reality, it's allowing you to see fewer clients and continue to focus on the work that you really do well. You took some of that money to hire paralegal and you've been able to delegate some of the repeatable parts of what you do so that you can really focus on the higher level strategic decisions that you're making for your clients. Overall, it's actually taking less of your time, but your clients are getting a better result. So that's a big win-win. Your biggest problem right now is you're getting booked out too far. So you actually put an ad out to hire a new associate and make sure to mention how exciting the growth trajectory that your firm has been on for the past five or six months. Um, you still get some weird candidates, but you know the brightest, most growth-oriented candidates actually look like they're very interested. And finally, when you end up making an offer, you've got the time to train them, and you're really sure you're going to have great results for your clients as they continue. Wouldn't you know it, there's even some money left over in the checking account at the end of the month, and you decide to invest that in a new marketing campaign to make sure that new person has their calendar full. So uh, I'm going on and on, but this is <laughs> probably starting to sound like an infomercial at this point. But as you can see, there's a million ways that you can have success that will parlay itself into more success. Now, these are both obviously examples. There's going to be bad days for somebody who's in a virtuous cycle and good days for people that are in a vicious cycle. But the point of bringing these up is that to show that momentum can really push you towards the top or to the bottom. And there isn't like a single matrix Morpheus red pill, blue pill moment that's going to get you set for life. But every decision that you make in your firm has this dimension if you want to really look at it. I want to go into some specifics of some of the actions that you can take to get more onto this virtuous cycle and away from the vicious cycle. All right. The first one we're going to go over is niching. So if we go back to our examples, I kind of picked some of these for a reason. So if you have a type of client that you work really well with, being extremely disciplined about pursuing that client and that client alone is one of the biggest levers that you can take advantage of because it's going to save you time and more importantly, it's going to save you your best mental energy. So it's technically free to make this decision at any point, but the thing that really stops people from doing this is that it's extremely costly in the beginning. So you've got people that are walking your door, just like that example with the uh, you know mom's cousin who has the landlord tenant issue. And those are often people that are willing to pay you real money. And it might seem crazy to turn that down, but you're not going to make it to the promised land of only working with your deemed clients if you say less to the people that are less than ideal. So it's kind of a short-sighted move to say that a dollar is a dollar, but not all revenue to your law firm is created equal. If you're billing from something that's outside of, let's just call it your strike zone, it's going to like air quotes, cost you more time and money than something that is from within your strike zone. So there's a concept I used to use in, uh, in the mastermind I was a part of a year, years ago that's uh, referred to as where we just used to call this term burning dopamine. So everyone's got, you know, you've got your productive hours of the day. That's when you can do your best thinking. And once you're, you run out of those hours for the day, you're done. And this is when you're going to do stuff like do your best creative work, think up of new strategies, think up of solutions to this kind of thing, or learn things that are new, right? Big hint here, it's going to be a lot less than eight hours a day for most people. I would say I am probably getting two on a good day. <laughs> I've been thinking about this stuff for a while. So just respecting that time and knowing that this is just, you know, your brain has a limit to what you can be productive in. So your brain does need all of its function to deal with uncharted territory. So the question is, are you going to use that time and energy for yourself? Or are you going to rent out the best hours of your day to someone else? 
And that's really the danger of taking whatever walks in the door. No matter how easy it looks like it's on paper, you know, if it's outside of your preferred client, your strike zone, it's going to take more energy. You're not used to it. If it's something you used to do back in the day, you're going to have to brush up on your old notes. And, you know, overall, you're not going to have much left over by the time it's done for yourself. So when you're taking whatever's walking the door, you're basically selling the opportunity to have time that's going to grow your practice to the highest bidder. Sometimes it's the lowest bidder, like it was in that example. A lot of the times it's just kind of desperately reaching for these, these people that are asking you for something that you don't even do. So, you know, how are you going to be differentiating yourself in that instance? But it's really not about time. It's about productivity at the end of the day. All right. Second thing is raising your rates. So I find that there's a lot of head trash in the legal space. And if you've been listening to a lot of our guest interviews recently, this is a question I've been bringing up a lot. But the conclusion I've come to is that people are used to billing hourly, especially if you start off in big law. And you know, I, I don't want to like go ahead and try to, to undo that paradigm, but I really just want to focus on the numbers and what it actually means to your clients. Let's say that you're a solo attorney. Now, do you think you would be doing better work if you served 10 clients a month or 20 clients per month? So aside from most some, some psycho workaholics, most people would actually do better work for fewer clients. So the question is then, why do so many attorneys set their rates in a way that forces them to work with more clients? You know, you have to get paid for what you do. You have to be able to pay your staff. You have to be able to pay your rent. And there's a certain amount of clients that you need to make your monthly nut. The higher your rate is, the lower that amount of clients is. So to, to kind of think about that example, the person who wants to go from 20 clients per month to go to 10 clients per month is going to have to double their rates. It's just really simple arithmetic. And the thing is, there's obviously, it's not something that people just double the rates overnight, but you know, any, any smaller degree of that is going to allow you to focus more on an individual client. And I think the, and the one that we use in the example is 25%, which is pretty reasonable usually. So it's not really a selfish mentality. It really allows you to serve more clients and eventually build a practice that can serve even more clients at scale if that's the direction you want to take it in. And that's not a selfish mentality unless you want to just cash out on your biggest month and head out to the Caymans. But most of us are not really looking to do that for at least anytime soon. But basically as a solo or as somebody who's responsible for a practice group within a bigger firm, if you're billing more, you're able to focus your time and energy on fewer clients. And as you can scale, it allows you to streamline your process and get a better client experience in place. So I've mentioned this on previous podcasts, but I think it's worth bringing up again. Um, a quote that really changed things for me is that companies don't charge more because they're big. They get big because they charge more. You kind of sometimes you might look at somebody, let's say it's, you know, a top billing competitor, big firm in your town and in your practice area. And you might think that you can't charge that much because you're smaller, but chances are they set their rates higher at some point when they were closer to you and your size than you think. And that actually allowed them to get there. Now, quick mention is that why this is number two on the list is because niching is probably the easiest way to get yourself to command a premium without having to scale up to a huge practice. So your average legal consumer probably cares less about what your office looks like than you think, and a lot more about how good of a job that they can do with them. And niching is super powerful because it allows you to set a stake in the ground and say, this is the kind of person that I can help. And it's also entirely possible that if you've really been focusing on an ideal type of client, you're doing more work for that kind of person than the biggest competitor in town is doing. I mean, granted, they have a higher volume, but if you're focusing on a smaller segment of the market, you could be doing more work for them. Let's run an example. So let's say that you specialize in estate planning for non-traditional families. Even if you've been focusing on this for a couple months, 
you're probably going to have been working through more challenges related to that specific type of client than the biggest firm in town. And it's also been specialized too. So you're, you're dealing with this. You don't have to switch gears between different clients. You're speaking their language. It makes sense for you to be thinking about these problems in the shower because you know that this is where you're all in it as far as where you want to be taking your practice. And overall, after it's not really going to take that much time, you're going to be in a situation where you really understand this better than the biggest firm. Now, at that point, you know, believe it or not, you're probably justified to charge just as much as that firm. And if you're feeling confident, you can probably charge more than them because you're going to get that client a better outcome because of that focus. So now we have something that was was free in the beginning with that choice to make a niche was costly in the sense that you had to turn down other things. But if you want to get to the point where you can genuinely offer more value, it's such a key mindset and such a key decision to make. Size only really matters if you're competing head to head on the same service. If you're just an estate planning practice and you're compared to the biggest guys in town, yeah, of course. If you, you guys, if you're both in the same category, then yeah, why, why wouldn't they want to go for the sure thing? But if you offer something different, you're not competing on the same dimensions. So that's why it's super important. Honestly, that's that's it's really it's it's more of a trump card than than people think as far as what people actually because you know ultimately prospects are mostly concerned about themselves. And it's not an, an indictment of any means, but basically if you're able to niche that you're able to selfishly give them what they want and that's worth a premium. All right, the last thing is intelligent investing, which honestly is the fun part. So at some point you're going to get ahead of the curve on your bills. And this basically, whether this is from some windfall client that you're getting from a referral or if you've taken the buy the book approach by just niching down, raising your rates, you're going to find you're at the point where you're not catching up. You have a surplus. So every time that you end up with a surplus at the end of the month, this is another red pill, blue pill moment. Or again, this is something these are things that are going to happen every day as, as client retainers are coming in. So do you want to take that money and reinvest it into a bigger, better practice down the line? Do you want to take your chips off the table, invest in your 401k, or are you going to do something in between? So in terms of chasing abundance, I think the best ways to reinvest some sort of a surplus are going to be people, process, and marketing. Now, I'm going to be completely honest here. There are much more qualified people that, than I to talk about investing into people and process. And just quick couple shout outs. Allison Williams from the Crushing Chaos podcast has been doing some fantastic work, and I would highly recommend checking her out. This is what I have to say about marketing as a marketer. (laughs) So basically getting more clients really reinforces a lot of the gains that you might have. So if you had 10 appointments, so just think about any of the stuff that we had in the last couple of things. If you had 10 appointments on your calendar next week, instead of one appointment on your calendar book for next week, are you more likely to hold your ground on your newly raised rates or saying no to a potential client that is coming from outside of your strike zone? I would say yes, and this is kind of where you get into the just just the traditional definition of abundance. When you have abundance, you are able to make decisions that suit yourself a little bit more. And then how do you get abundance in the client opportunities? It's by having some sort of a repeatable marketing process. So I also want to say there's a big difference between being able to get clients and being able to get clients consistently, which is a higher level challenge than uh, like a lot of firms have. A lot of the times people get that windfall from let's you know a whale of a referral or you know just a really couple of good months where things are not happening. But basically the way that you need to parlay that into a recurring surplus at the end of the month is by taking that and investing it into a repeatable, dependable marketing process. And one of the reasons that I think that's a little bit more foundational than hiring is because it's really not 
advisable to turn a windfall into a hire. If you talk about any of the, the you know the really smart folks and the scaling stuff, Gino Wickman, that kind of thing, um, a lot of people will recommend you need to have six months of salary in the bank before you make a hire. And frankly, most word of mouth and referral based practices don't really know for certain what they're going to be billing next month. You can kind of get in the situation where it says, hey, look, things are going up. But if you've been along the referral roller coaster for long enough, you can know that there's ebbs and flows. So take it with a grain of salt because full disclosure, I am a marketer, but I think the first order of business is turning a win into a win every month. So anyways, that concludes the three things that you can do to stay in the virtuous cycle of abundance. Niche down, raise your rates, and intelligently reinvest your gains. All three of these things are not going to be a one-time decision. Like I said, it's a practice and it's a discipline that you're going to have to face every day. But if you take the time to focus on it, I'm sure you're going to be in the virtual cycle before long. So one last thing, I will plug a course I did a while back, which is totally free, which should help with the process side of the intelligent investing. And thankfully, it only requires an investment of time. It's called Double Your Case Files and boils down some of the best practices that we've found from the best firms that we've worked with over the years. We've broken it down to videos, scripts, that kind of thing. So you can see whether you're spending $10,000 a month on AdWords or just still based on referrals, you're able to get more out of the clients that are coming your way through a more efficient, airtight intake process. So check the link in the show notes for more info. And I will be here with you next week for another episode of the Law Firm Growth Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.